Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Parkinson's Recovery. This is Robert Rogers, and this is the place where you can always come on Thursdays at 11 o'clock Pacific or 2 o'clock on Eastern Time to be able to get information, support, and resources if you happen to have the symptoms of Parkinson's or know someone who does. We are doing two live in-the-flesh events this spring. One of them is going to be on Vancouver Island in Canada in March, and the other event is a seven-day cruise to Alaska where we'll be doing a couple of full days and some nights of free workshops that will be featuring myself, Deborah Russell, and a number of the individuals who I have interviewed on my radio program. So you get to meet us in the flesh. And what we're going to be doing is to be providing everyone in attendance with support so that you can join many, many others who are on the road to recovery. I'm going to be actually by my cell phone today and tomorrow. I've never done this before, but I thought this would be a new experience for me and everyone else included. If you'd like to connect and talk or ask any questions about anything, I'm available. Call the following toll-free number, one 877 That number will ring on my cell phone. If I don't pick up, I'm talking to someone else, and I'll give you a call right back. So if you've got any questions about anything we're doing or anything about anything, please give me a call. I'd be delighted to talk with you live, in the flesh, and in person. This show today is dedicated to individuals who are at the point of frustration, to individuals who are trying one therapy or another and finding that they're still not getting the kind of sustained relief that they were hoping for. There must be something else going on, and Michelle Morgan is still going to explain to us in the most fascinating way what really is happening? Now we turn to my interview with Michelle Morgan. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. It's a high honor for me today to be able to interview Michelle Morgan. Michelle is a visionary NLP practitioner. She's a psychic, and she is an author from the Seattle, Washington area, the most wonderful state in the entire country of the United States. Thank you so much for being with us today, Michelle. Thank you. It's great to be back. This is great. Now, you have a particular connection to Parkinson's. Can you tell people about that? Yeah. My um, one and only sibling, my older brother, um, was diagnosed with Parkinson's when he was 35, um, and so I have a very um, vested interest in um, this subject and helping people with um, with this disease because you know my my brother's got it so and it's been a it's been a really challenging journey for him so many people with Parkinson's uh, from my experience do get uh, caught up in the belief that they are going to get worse that they're going to uh, begin to experience one symptom after another is that experience uh, that you have had with your knowledge of Parkinson's um, it's an experience that I've had with my knowledge of, of working with clients with all manner of issues um, whether they're physical diseases or emotional patterns or whatever um, belief systems are the most powerful thing that we deal with as human beings. They are literally the fuel that 
that runs our lives and unconscious beliefs. There's two there's two kinds of belief systems. There's conscious beliefs and those are the ones that um, self-help and the new age really work with. That's the whole idea of, you know, po- choosing your thoughts, positive thoughts and affirmations and prayer work and all of that, which is great stuff. It's it's a total power tool. You get your conscious thoughts in line and you're going to change your mood, you're going to change your energy, you're going to change all sorts of things. That's the law of attraction. But the challenge is, Conscious beliefs are only one layer, and they're the top layer. <laughs> the bottom layer, that the foundation, is the unconscious belief systems. And those are, um, we talked about this actually the last time um, you had me on the show, but I'm going to reiterate if it's okay because it's really important information. Unconscious belief systems are rooted in the psyche, literally physically, in, a, in the neural pathways of the brain, um, between birth and two years of age. Um, so when you think about that, you know, us adults, we're, we're waltzing around looking at the world through a two-year-old's eyes. Um, it's pretty scary. And identity issues, which are one step up the ladder from belief, are rooted between anywhere from birth to seven years of age, typically in that toddler to seven-year range. And the difference between a belief and an identity issue is a belief is how you see the world, and an identity issue is how you see yourself in the world. So it's got that extra little personal kick to it. Um, but the but anyway, those things are actually physically in the brain as neural pathways, little electron, little electronic um, systems that run, um, and those things are hardcore. They will absolutely guarantee the law of attraction will work, meaning you will manifest a reality, and, and there's no exception to this. You'll manifest a physical reality that completely supports the belief systems that you carry. If you're changing your conscious beliefs, but your unconscious beliefs are still you know, rooted in your two-year-old psyche, then your reality is going to reflect the two-year-old's beliefs, not the conscious one. So this is very curious. These are unconscious. So what in the world do I do about it? If, if they're not conscious to me, I mean, hello. So I just say, well, what the hell? They're unconscious. I can't do anything about it. Forget about it. Or is there something I can do about it? Can I figure out what they are? Does it matter? It absolutely matters. I mean, I, I am. A, I mean, I've, I have based my entire career on the philosophy that we're here to ferret out those unconscious belief systems. The whole point of our existence is to find out how we've wandered so far from our divinity and heal it. And, and the great news is there's, there's modalities out there that will, that will actually physically change the neural pathways in the brain. There's just a few of them, um, and some of them only work to certain degrees. Um, and there are some, I also want to be clear that there are some excuse me, unconscious belief systems that you can actually change on your own. Um, some habits, some patterns, you can, you can create a, a, a different neural pathway. Um, you know that um, the whole thing of changing a habit in 21 days. If you do something new every single day for 21 days, then you will break, you'll create a new pattern. You've heard of that, right? Yeah. 
Well, that's a, that's the actual phenomenon of, of building, if you will, a new neural pathway in the brain. But I want to say, uh, having practiced that, you'll get to like the 14th day, and all of a sudden you skip a day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, wait a minute, what happened? And that's, I'm so glad you brought that up. And you want to know why you skip it? Yeah, there's a little blockage, a little uh, unconscious thing going on there, yeah. I suppose. The unconscious beliefs raise up and say, whoa, time out, wait a second. No, we need to stay in that familiar scene that we've always been in. Because that's the, 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 bo the bottom line of the unconscious belief systems is the survival instinct that's hardwired in the human psyche. Have to know what is going on at all times in order to feel safe. We need to know who we are and what the world looks like. It needs to make sense to us, um, i.e. it needs to be familiar, so that we know how to operate. Um, and so, yeah, so, and that's, that's exactly my point. Sometimes we can break a habit. I mean, I remember... I, when I was in junior high, I chewed my fingernails really bad, and, and I broke the habit. I broke the habit by, you know, being really, really conscious of it for 21 days. It also helped that my grandmother paid me $10 a nail. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a little extra motivation. But the bottom line was I did change that pattern. So things like that, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to, to make light of, of habits and patterns, but the truth is there are certain things that we can physically restructure in our own brain through our own choices and our own mechanics, then there are deeper-rooted belief systems. And those are the ones that literally you come in with, either from past lives, because that's part of it, that, zero to, that birth to two years of age, you're, you're coming out of the womb with belief systems that are, that are based in, in karma, literally. Um, so those deeper belief systems that are rooted in your toddler brain, those those suckers, you, you need some help on that one, you know. And, and that's here's what's so funny to me: the whole idea of self-help. Weirdly, it doesn't really work because you're too close to yourself. You're too close to the patterns. It's the old "can't see the forest for the trees." And so, healthy people ask for help. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I, I absolutely get on my high horse flaming soapbox about people who, you know, have an issue with seeking help, that it, somehow it's an indication of weakness. Well, I don't believe that. I believe that warriors in the olden days, if they had a crack in their armor, they didn't pretend they didn't have it. They hoofed it to the, the nearest ironmonger and had the thing fixed. And they weren't like, oh, I don't want anyone to know I'm getting this fixed. I'm so embarrassed. They marched in there and went, fix this. I got a dragon to slay. You know, it's the same thing. We have to be able to fix the cracks in our own personal systems. And, and it's just fascinating to me. And, you know, we could talk for hours off the topic we're supposed to be on today about why we're like that as a, as a species, why we have this idea that, that it's weakness to ask for help. Um, but there are modalities out there that will actually physically change those neural pathways and some of them, like I say, go to certain levels, and others go to the deepest levels. And, you know, that's the good news is the, the help is out there. I know people will be interested in hearing a few specifics. So when you mention yes. modalities, could you detail out one or several that people might be interested in learning more about? Absolutely. Um, one of the um, ones that I've um, recently come into some contact with and, and been playing with a little bit is called EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. And it's a um, process of <clears throat> working with 
positive statements. Um, at the same time, you're tapping on the um, meridians of acupuncture, um, and it's it's really interesting. I've been I've been actually doing it, and, and 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 I've had some real interesting results from it. I've really felt some physical shifts in my body um, with the energy of things. Um, I'm using it more in terms of working on what I consider lesser blocks, things that are kind of surface for me. Um, or a, a more light, habitual nature. So, and, and it's been it's been powerful. I think I'm, I'm definitely can say I've seen some results from that. Um, then NLP, neuro linguistic programming. I got the training in that. Oh man, that was uh, back in 1993. Um, and the reason I got the training in that was because I experienced with an NLP practitioner in two sessions changing an issue that I'd been working on for about 10 years with other modalities, you know, clinical therapies and that type of thing. Um, and I was blown away by the, 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 the really tangible shift. I was no longer the same person. And I basically said after two sessions, hell, I want to learn how to do this. Um, and so I did. I took the training and then found... Um, the training was just astonishing. It was an incredible experience for me in that um, not only was it, you know, was it nine, a nine-month intensive where you're basically getting, you know, your own crap rooted out the entire time. <laughs> it's this constant state of therapy for nine months, um, which, you know, is great for some of us and, you know, just a, a nightmare for others. But so that aspect of it was amazing, but more so because the the modality itself made such instinctual sense to me um, because it was so in line with things that I had already been doing with clients up to that point and and in particular, it fit um, the psychic realm that I worked in as far as symbology and archetypes and mythology and all of that, and the way those systems are rooted in the brain and so the program that I've developed, the CSI program, which stands for Cognitive Spiritual Integration, um, and yes, the CSI um, analogy is appropriate. We do go to the scene of the crime in your site <laughs> and investigate it. Um, I developed the CSI program. It's a NLP-based program, but it goes deeper. It, 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 it encompasses that aspect of God, of spirituality, which um, so far in my pretty good experience, um, regular NLP, if you will, doesn't really touch. Um, depends a lot on the practitioner, of course, but um, the modality itself doesn't work specifically with that part of the, the uh, brain's processing, and everybody's rooted in their brain with a, a, a God piece, if you will. So... Um, so if, if I would send anybody to any modality, um, it would be NLP, without question. It's, it's by far the most powerful thing out there as far as actually changing the neural pathways in the brain. Um, and, then, and then, like I say, there's EFT and there's rapid eye therapy. There's um, several other things out there that I know that I have not necessarily had personal experience with, but they are based on the premise of changing those pathways in the brain, and you know, you got to pick, you got to, you got to choose carefully because you know, I, I've done damage control for years in my career for people who've been to 
you know, practitioners who weren't necessarily of the highest integrity or who've tried different modalities with lots of promises attached to them and then didn't have the results. And, and at the same time, the client themselves has to be a million percent willing to change. That's probably, well, not even probably, that is the biggest key. You know, that's the thing I tell everybody that comes to me is that you're going to get a thousand percent of me and what I demand of you is 100% willingness to change, no matter how scary and painful it is. You've got to be willing to change. Because change is scary, you know. Even if the familiar kills you, we're going to hang on to it because that's how we're wired. Oh, that's for sure. You bet. Of the two uh, modalities that you've now discussed, EFT and NLP, I do have some additional information uh, for listeners who'd like to be able to get more information. About six months ago, Bernadette Hunter, who is from Colorado, is an EFT practitioner. She actually did some live work with a uh, a volunteer, Monica, who has Parkinson's, uh, on the show. So what you hear is uh, Bernadette working with uh, Monica uh, using the EFT technology. And then several uh, weeks later, Monica reported back that the issue that they worked with had been totally resolved. <laughs> it, was yeah, quite, it. it was quite amazing. She was having uh, severe anxiety about literally going anywhere and driving. And as it turned out, that was uh, totally resolved. She was just elated with the result. That's so cool. And the second uh, uh, source of information that many people might want to uh, uh, go to is in the Pioneers of Recovery book that is a compilation of interviews I've done with individuals who are practitioners and also persons with the symptoms of Parkinson's. I interviewed Carl Bouchite, who's the director of the Marin County NLP program. He was he was one of the men that I trained under. Carl is quite quite he's incredible. Awesome. He's sort he of uh, awesome. yeah, he's uh I suppose in the country the person really who uh uh, uh, studied under the originators of the idea and has taken it uh, leaps and bounds yeah. further. And so uh, Carl has a wonderful explanation and discussion in Pioneers of Recovery of NLP and, a, and an explanation of what it is and how it works. I ask him explicitly, so Carl, what proportion of people who have the symptoms of Parkinson's that you have worked with actually see profound results? And his answer was quite interesting. He said, well, it depends on whether or not the person wants to change, which sounds <laughs> like just what you said. And then he said, you know, on average, 50%. He said half of the people that he's worked with, uh, there have just been miraculous shifts and changes and improvements and symptoms. And the other half, uh, certainly nothing worse, but didn't look like it shifted that much. And he attributed that mostly to a hesitation for the person really to delve into the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Carl's amazing. He was, um, like I said, when I took the training, there was... um, three or four um, teachers that came in from different locations, and Carl, Carl was the one that was most impactful for me. He was just just a brilliant man, and I, I loved his approach to everything. So, yeah, he's great. He is amazing. Uh, he and I were actually uh, together in a uh, family constellation uh, year-long training program in San Francisco. So I got nice. to know Carl quite well. He's quite a marvelous individual. Yeah, he is. We'll be right back with Michelle Morgan after this short break. This is Robert Rogers, and my guest today is Michelle Morgan. On March the 26th and March the 27th, that's a Friday and a Saturday, 
Parkinson's Recovery, and specifically myself and Deborah Russell, will be offering a two-day jumpstart to wellness program on Vancouver Island in Canada. I need everybody to know who's interested in learning more about Jumpstart to Wellness that unlike what happens when you go to a university classroom, we don't talk at you. We don't give lectures, and one of the rules of Jumpstart to Wellness is there are no PowerPoint presentations to put you to sleep. Everything we do is experiential, and the focus of Jumpstart to Wellness is to provide participants with one self-help therapy and technique after another that you can use for yourself every day to get sustained relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. In other words, we help you figure out how you can help yourself heal. The second announcement I want everybody to know is the seven-day cruise to Alaska sponsored by Parkinson's Recovery. It's a pure vacation where you're going to get an opportunity to not only see some of the most magnificent cities in Alaska, but the Glacier Bay National Park as well, something I have actually never seen. We're going to do two full days of free workshops with some of the people that I've interviewed on my radio program. I'll be doing work. Deborah will be doing multidimensional work. And again, just like Jumpstart to Wellness, will be totally experiential. And the goal of all of the work that we do on the cruise as well as Jumpstart to Wellness is to offer participants new experiences, things that you never imagined you would ever experience in your lifetime. So I can promise you those that come to our events uh, leave having uh, been able to experience things that they have never experienced in their life. So uh, put it on your calendar, May 3rd, and if you'd like to be able to get more information about either of those two events, you can actually talk with me live today and tomorrow for sure by calling a long-distance number, one 526 4646. If uh, you have to leave a message, uh, please do so. I'll call you right back after I finish talking to whoever I happen to be on the phone at the time. Michelle, tell us how family legacies might somehow be connected to a person's ability to recover from, for example, the symptoms of Parkinson's. That um, family legacy is actually one of the very specific um, aspects of the CSI program. We I actually have some um, very deliberate exercises and, and um, processes that we do around family legacy. And so um, I'll start with explaining my take on what a family legacy is. Um, the, the basis of the CSI program we do at the beginning of the program, we do a, uh, an evaluation. Um, and we trace the legacy in the family back however many generations. And this is where my psychic ability is, is key to the, to the process because um, it's an actual reading where we find out where the legacies began. And so here's how I describe it to my clients. A legacy is a, a divine story that God writes about a family, and he hands it to the first ancestor in that family line. And they live it out. They live it out in their behaviors, in their emotional patterns, and through the law of attraction and the way that they create their reality. And then that's handed down generationally until typically something comes along that's, um, I find, um, 
um, historical in nature, if you will. There's a, a period of history where that family encounters some sort of an experience where there's a choice point, and the choice point is always it's the choice point in any situation. Are you going to take the high road? Or are you going to take the low road? Right? Are you going to go towards the light? Or are you going to go into your shadow? And what? And since everything has a blessing and a curse, everything has a shadow side. What will 99.99% of the time in that pivotal experience in that family line, the ancestor who's having the experience chooses the shadow, goes into the human fear aspect. Oh shoot. And then, Hello. So somewhere we signed a contract as human beings that said we have to do that (laughs) in order to learn. You know, it has to hurt really bad before we're going to learn. So they choose that shadow side, and then the legacy gets twisted. And I'm going to I'm going to give you a perfect example to kind of explain that here in a second. So the legacy gets twisted to its shadow side, and then the shadow side gets handed down through the generations. And so when a client comes to me with whatever they got going on in their life, we take a look at what the original divine legacy is because that, in fact, is in their DNA. And we help them understand that they're living the shadow, but it isn't the truth. It's just the shadow. And so here's the example. A client came to me who is a um, remarkable artist. She makes costumes for um, uh, uh, <laughs> hello, ice skaters and ballroom dancers. Okay, beautiful, beautiful costumes. And she's always had this desire to branch out and do bigger things. And every time she's wanted to branch out and do these other things that are more maybe risky on a business sense or more and definitely more personal for her, she would literally have this sense of freezing up and she'd you know not be able to get things started and she'd end up manifesting all sorts of distractions and all sorts of problems that would basically stop her in her tracks and this happened every single time she got passionate about branching out so she comes to me and we trace the legacy and here's the legacy on her mother's side the original legacy the divine legacy was in incredibly powerful women and we always look at the legacy from both the, the, the maternal side and the paternal side because you're looking at the polarity of it. You're looking at the masculine and the feminine um, input, if you will, through the generations. So on the feminine side, there was a, the legacy of extremely powerful women who were very, very, almost magical in nature and, and very creative and very open and very free in their expression. And the, the original legacy, we, the statement that came up was, you know, whatever you want, you can manifest. Whatever you want, you can make happen. It was this really joyful, sparkly kind of energy. Well, we traced back six generations. And again, I'm doing this from a, a psychic perspective based on um, some, some exercises that the client does prior um, and comes up with these different statements that go on in their own mind. So psychically, I'm looking at this. Six generations back on mom's side, there is a, a fe- female ancestor whose sole desire was to be a mom. She wanted to be a mom more than anything. And this was a period in history when women weren't exactly considered you know, the highest citizens. So there was a lot of arranged marriages, a lot of dowries, a lot of that type of thing that went on. So this woman married well, quote-unquote, meaning she married a man who would be a great provider, but there was no love between them. And she 
promptly starts getting pregnant, six children, five of whom die tragically as infants. One survives. It's a daughter. Husband leaves her because back in those days, the woman, of course, was blamed if she couldn't procreate. Mm -hmm. The husband leaves. The woman is so bereft and grief-stricken, turns her back on God, believes she's cursed, and tells the surviving daughter, when that daughter got to be a teenager, looks her in the eye and tells her, you better be careful what you wish for because you're going to get it and it's going to ruin your life. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So that got that got rolled down through the follow, the preceding generations up to my client. So we did the CSI track. We did the family legacy pieces. We had to do a couple of them around that specific thing. She calls me up at one point and says, "I got to tell you a little story." I just had dinner with my mom, and now I had met mom, and so this story was even more amazing to me because I knew what this what, what this gal was like. She was having dinner with her mom. And out of the blue, no provocation whatsoever from my client. Mom looks up from her plate and says, you know, I've been thinking lately. I feel really bad. I think I I may have taught you and your brother to be afraid to go out in the world and do the things you want to do. How do you like (laughs) that? And my client said she almost choked Mm. because nothing had ever come out of her mother's mouth like that before. And... So when we heal a family legacy, we actually heal it for the family. We actually heal the energy generationally because a legacy is just a memory. You know, History doesn't even exist. It exists as a vibration based on memory of how the people who experienced it are carrying it. So family legacy stuff is, is huge to a person's ability to heal. It's also huge to a person's ability to manifest an illness in the first place. Does that make sense? Sure does. So this might be applicable to people who have the symptoms of Parkinson's? Absolutely. And yes. can, you, can you talk some about how that might play out? Well, um, in fact, um, had a great um, session with um, one of your listeners after the last show, and we did a, an evaluation with her, and we traced... To, on her dad's side, we traced some issues with um, that had to do with health, physical health, um, alcoholism, and specifically a child that was born with a um, birth defect. And the mindset and the attitude of the family around that person with these problems, and that got rolled down generationally as a belief in, you know, about the body not being perfect and about... You know, when you manifest those types of things, you're going to be um, isolated, you're going to be rejected, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what was really fascinating was we got information about one of the ancestors who had been in a, a war of some sort and had and in and he'd been forced into it. It wasn't his decision. He didn't want, he didn't believe in the cause, but he had to go because that was what you did in that time. And he went and he conjured. A, a bullet wound in order to get out of the war. Mm. But the problem was the bullet wound ended up um, debilitating him permanently, and so he had a lot of bitterness and a lot of anger. And we got in the, in the, in the evaluation, I got information specifically on where the bullet wound was, side of the body, etc., and it turns out both my, this client and one of her siblings, who also has Parkinson's, their symptoms are on that exact side in those exact locations. 
Oh, my. Yeah. So it, it really, and what we do with legacy is we live it out. We, we will manifest it in the most extraordinary ways because when you think about it, I mean, you know, somebody 300, 400, 700 years ago, obviously their um, environmental reality is different than our modern one now. So it may look a little bit different. Somebody's not going to necessarily go out and you know conjure a bullet wound, but they're going to conjure something. If that ancestor had a bullet wound that made them incapable of moving their right side for the rest of their lives, you could absolutely manifest something that would do the exact same thing and not know why, not know why you conjured that. Well, a person becomes aware that perhaps the reason they're experiencing symptoms in a particular part of their body is because of a bullet wound that they're carrying. How, how do they heal that? How do they get the bullet out? Well, that, that, requires, the specific, that requires a specific modality that will deal with the way that's carried, and that's, and that's all that unconscious belief system stuff. That's just, and, and, and the, you know, the challenging part about that, and I'm sure there's, there's got to be people listening to this that are going to be rolling their eyes and going, oh, for crying out loud, this is so out there. <laughs> it is. It's completely out there. I mean, I've been doing this stuff for almost 20 years, and I still roll my eyes sometimes and go, I cannot believe what just came out of my mouth. <laughs> but this is, you know, this is the information. And what's so interesting about it is that, first of all, when, just by having the information, Sometimes that alone will start the process of, of shifting the symptoms that somebody's dealing with because knowing that it's not you, knowing that you're actually carrying this ghost, if you will, or you're manifesting out of the energy of some primal, you know, um, ancestral vibe, you can start going, wait a second here, this isn't me. This is not me. You know, I'm actually imitating or parroting this energy that's been handed down however many generations. Just having the information can help start to separate things out. So that can really help a person who might be thinking, what did I do to create these symptoms? You know, Absolutely. what is it about me? And the reality is nothing. The fact yeah. is that it goes back six, seven, eight, ten, twenty generations uh, yeah. before them. Is that right? Absolutely. Now, I will also say um, that it then is also about the person because they've got to look at what they're believing to be true about the world that that legacy is just a piece of it that's not the entire kit and caboodle it sets up the belief systems because that's you know that's the reality that gets handed down and then the ideas about the world are created from that reality but the bottom line is i tell everybody all the time there are no victims there really aren't and and, and i'm not trying to be new agey about that it's about accountability. It's about be, being able to, and this is this is where people, this is where that willingness piece really has to be in place, because it can be really hard to take responsibility for what we're walking around doing. You know, the, most of us don't want to. Most of us want to blame our external circumstances or whatever it is. Um, but the the accountability piece is to be able to say, okay, I have this generational thing that I'm carrying. Why am I carrying it? You know, what, what am I believing that's true about myself that I have to carry this? And there's two ways that a family legacy is typically held by a person's psyche. Um, they either buy into it hook, line, and sinker. Literally in the womb, they're getting nine months of amniotic fluid and home movies. I'm not kidding. <laughs> they're sitting in there, and they're watching this stuff, and they're believing it. They're going, oh, yeah, okay, this is my reality. That's one way that, that somebody will carry a legacy. The other way, and I see this quite often actually, is they carry it as a way of, try, of attempting to unburden an ancestor. 
it's out of loyalty as opposed to an actual um, buying in, if you will. It's more of, wow, that's really sad and horrible. Let me carry that for you because they watched mom suffer under the weight of, you know, this chronic grief or depression or whatever it was. And so this little baby in the womb's going, wow, let me see if I can take some of that away from you. And family, the, the loyalty thing is huge. In fact, that's part of the, that whole family constellation stuff, if I'm not mistaken, right. is talking about that, you know, just weird, in some ways it's weird, ingrained idea that we, that we can't best our family. You know, we have to live out those legacies in order to be, and that's just the pack mentality. If you really break that down to its most you know, simplistic nature, that's the pack mentality. I have to be loved and accepted by the pack or I'll die. So we'll carry whatever we choose to carry because we want to fit in or we want to be loyal or we want to unburden somebody. And so those are the pieces where the client has to take responsibility and, and, and have that willingness. And I encourage people to try, it's not easy, but to try and look at it from a standpoint of not like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm so screwed up and I have so, much, so many issues, but more like, Wow, how powerful am I? Look at what I'm look at what I'm creating and look at what I'm carrying. And look at what I can potentially do if I shift all that stuff because all that power that's going into manifesting and maintaining the shadow, that's the tip of the iceberg of the power you have in manifesting and maintaining the light if you're connected to it. But you got to get out of the shadow first. So that's why in doing this work, people can truly come into their power and yeah. actually address whatever symptoms they might be experiencing. Absolutely. And one of the other things that I think is really crucial, especially for somebody with Parkinson's or some other, you know, disease where they've been labeled with, um, you and I talked about this earlier, progressive, the idea that it's progressive or the idea that it's terminal, the idea that it's, you know, you're never going to recover, basically. Um, I think it's so important to have the attitude, and this goes to the conscious belief thing, you've got to choose these thoughts, but to have the attitude that, that this is an opportunity, this is an opportunity to champion yourself to whatever's happening, that, that God did not do this lightly. And I'm not saying that God made people, makes people suffer, but God gives us an opportunity in our suffering to become victorious and gives us all the tools and the resources and then gives us the free will to either decide we're going to be victorious or we're going to roll over and play dead to it. And for me, um, I mean, I can honestly say I have never dealt with a chronic physical ailment other than Epstein-Barr syndrome at one point, which was pretty debilitating for a while, but I have dealt with incredible depression. And that was a huge turning point for me. And I had to decide, am I going to, um, you know, am I going to be a, a, a victim to this? Am I going to believe this? Or am I going to recognize that I get a chance to heal whatever's in me that's raising up right now? And that was, you know, that was an amazing point in my life. Wouldn't, wouldn't wish it on anybody, wouldn't want to go back to it. But it was an amazing opportunity for me. But I had to step up to the plate big time. And depression really is one of the symptoms that are most problematic for people with Parkinson's. Oh, absolutely. I, it would have to be. Um, again, just to me, I have, I have an issue. <laughs> again, soapbox time. I have an issue with labels. I have a real issue with labels. I think they're so dangerous. Um, they're a product of the way the human psyche is wired. It needs to identify with things so it can feel safe. That's 
so we have labels for those reasons. But then, as everything has a blessing and a curse, you know, the curse of that is once you're labeled, your psyche's going to grab onto it and say, this is my truth. And if your truth is you have a progressive disease that's going to rob you of everything you are, who wouldn't get depressed? You know, there's nobody that's going to welcome that. Um, not on their on, on the deepest level of who they are. So, yeah, the depression thing is, uh, and, and I think personally that's the thing that has to be dealt with first because your body's going to, the body's like a dog. It really is. It's The body's a dog. It's the low man on the totem pole. It will do whatever we tell it to do, and we can abuse the hell out of it, and it's still going to keep coming back, wagging its tail, and saying, you know, show me what to do. And we tell our bodies what to do through our emotional patterns, and through our thought processes. And that's where the belief system stuff comes into play because the belief system is rooted in the emotional portion of the intellectual mind. So you got to get a grip on the depression or the anxiety, however that's showing up, if you're going to ever have your body function to any degree of normalcy. From everything you've said, it really does sound to me like one of the reasons to do the kind of work you're describing is that not only do you have an opportunity to help yourself get well and heal, but you also help everybody else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I always, and, and that's probably my Sagittarius nature. I always go to the big picture. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always making things bigger than they are. But, but I really do believe that, that, that it's not... We, we have a singular selfish experience as human beings. That's really all we can have because we can only be in our own experience. But we're here to transcend that by being willing to teach others. And, you know, we, we all learn the best by example. No question about that. And it's also a, a, an interesting phenomenon and very understandable given the structure of the psyche that people are most profoundly inspired by people who've had to overcome something. You know, you read stories about these people that seem to have this great life, charmed life from the get-go, and that's cool. (laughs) And then you read about somebody who, you know, was abused as a child or grew up in the ghetto or, or was born with some sort of a disease or disfigurement or, you know, somebody that gets slammed with... Parkinson's at 35 or whatever it is, and and they they overcome it. They get in there and they do their work and they and they take the challenge and they struggle and they fight it and they fight that good fight. Man, people rally to that. People everywhere are are going to walk in the world differently because of someone like that. There's no way we can't be affected as humans by those stories. And I think that's I think that's such a huge component of why anything terrible happens to anybody. You know, we have lessons to learn. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, we're in school. There are times when I will literally look up to, at God and say, okay, I don't need to necessarily graduate right now, but please, I just want recess. I just went out of the classroom for like 10 minutes. You know? Give me a break, God. Give me a break. So we're always learning lessons. That's the whole freaking point as far as I'm concerned. And we get a chance to be the teacher at the same time. I think that's amazing. I really do. I think I think that's a spiritual responsibility. And I think if, if you can, to the best of your ability, grab on to that notion even five minutes a day, you're going to walk taller in the world. You're absolutely going to strut a little bit. 
We'll be right back with Michelle Morgan after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Michelle Morgan. My uncle, Gordon Ward, from the grand state of Wyoming, was a most magnificent individual for many reasons. Gordon was a former college president of Sheridan College. He was a Wyoming legislator, and he was a historian uh, of quite uh, incredible reputation. Uh, about, oh, anywhere from uh, 15 to 18 years before Gordon died just this last year, he began to encounter significant uh, sight problems. Uh, he really couldn't read, and he was unable to play tennis, so he decided to have cataract surgery. The first eye was done, and that worked quite beautifully, and he was very pleased. The surgery on the second eye was not successful, and he literally went blind in his second eye. The result was he had double vision, blurring, and he literally could not see to read anymore. And Gordon unfortunately, could also not play tennis. My Aunt Betty told me that one of the outcomes of this horrible uh, uh, complication of the cataract surgery was that she believed that the Parkinson's symptoms emerged uh, about a year after uh, the awful event actually occurred. In other words, she believed that the stress of what had happened uh, brought on the symptoms of Parkinson's for my Uncle Gordon Ward. So I've been looking now ever since I've uh, founded Parkinson's Recovery in 2005 for some natural approach that would reverse cataract and help people who might have dry eyes or double vision or eye twitches or cloudy vision or cataracts. And bingo, uh, it's been now actually about a year and a half ago, I've been on to an incredible solution that was invented by a Russian researcher by the name of Dr. Mark Babacheyev. He's a Ph.D.-type researcher, and Mark Babacheyev identified that in people who have cataracts and other problematic conditions, there is an absence of N-acetylcarnosine. And so he began to do research and has been doing that now for about 15 years, evaluating whether if you put that particular substance in a person's eyes, the eye will be able to return back to full health and wellness. And the research results show, yes, indeed, that's exactly what happens. They actually have now something that they've had out now for about 10 years or so, and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals have had success with using this particular natural remedy. So if you'd like to know more about this, please call me. I'm excited because it's finally something that if it had been available to my Uncle Gordon Ward, I believe he would still be alive today playing tennis and reading and influencing the hearts and souls of many, many, many other people. Give me a call uh, anytime. I'd be delighted to talk with you about uh, this particular discovery. It's uh, the real thing. Uh, you can you can reach me at the toll free number at one eight seven seven five two six four six four six or of course you can always email me at the following email address that's robert r o b e r t at parkinson's recovery dot com so that's all one word it's the word parkinson's p a r k i n s o n s and the word recovery r e c o v e r y dot com both words combined together now back to Michelle. Michelle, you talked a great deal about personal belief systems that are conscious and unconscious. What about collective belief systems? To what extent are we influenced by them? 
hugely influenced by collective beliefs. Um, and again, this goes back to the whole pack mentality, only in this instance it's more of a mob mentality, <laughs> um, but it's the idea of needing to fit in with the pack. So collective beliefs come in through our society, through our culture, um, through whatever group um, mind we're attached to. And, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I certainly have experienced the nation in the last four years or so, maybe longer, as one big, fat, flaming ball of fear. It's <laughs> been unprecedented, the level of abject fear that people as a collective are not only attempting to deal with, but are expressing, just, you know, imploding and exploding with it. So, um, and the challenge there is, and this is, you know, this stuff is so complicated, and I, and, and I love, obviously, to, to just wax on rhapsodic about this stuff, and sometimes I worry that it, it's, it's hard to follow because there's so many different angles to it. Um, but where the collective beliefs fit in is somebody comes into the world with karmic belief systems, right? They come out of the womb with karmic belief systems, and in the first two years of their life, they're getting inundated with their family of origin belief systems and the family legacy stuff. And then the next five years, they're doing the whole identity piece, and some of that is the collective belief. That's where the cultural thing comes in, because, you know, little kids they go to school and they realize oh my gosh the world is bigger than just my mom and dad type of a thing and so they're they're influenced by those bigger collective systems and then of course we get to be adults and and in this day and age with the media the way it is i mean do not get me on the soapbox about that um you know because i use the media as a, a, a forum for the work that i do and at the same time i have this tremendous disdain for the way the media is handled, especially in our nation, but I think it's worldwide, to be honest with you, um, in that it, it, it does just create this continuous climate of fear. And so somebody that comes in with these specific belief systems, I mean, I'm going to be real simplistic here to make my point. Let's say somebody comes in with a karmic belief uh, that they are... Um, they're not worthy because they were jailed as a thief in one life, okay? And again, I'm being really simplistic here. So they come in and they've got this idea that, they, that they're a bad person, right? They're, they were societally bad, and they break rules, and so they're, they're not worth, you know, being upper-class citizens. So they come into a family who has those same beliefs because we choose our families based on our karmic beliefs, trust me. We're going we're gonna to draw in a legacy that fits our karmic legacy. So they come into a family where there's going to be maybe a dad who, um, you know, never achieved the things he wanted to, had dreams of going to college and doing all this other stuff, and he ended up, you know, working for minimum wage for really egotistical bosses who made him feel like crap every day at work. And he marries a woman who makes him feel like crap because he's not succeeding, et cetera, et cetera. Not a lot of love there, a lot of judgment, a lot of criticism in that family. So this person grows up, and then they go out in the world, and they're constantly told, yeah, right, well, you know, you're not going to be able to do that because of this, 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 and this. And flash, fast forward to now, in our current modern ideal 
that we're working with, and that person's going to be out in the world. Maybe they've lost their job, which would totally fit the legacy, wouldn't it? If they if they were fired or, or they were laid off, where are they going to go in their head? Oh, my God, it's totally because I'm worthless. I'm not worth keeping, so the company got rid of me. So there they are, total victim in the world, and then they're listening to the daily media talking about the economy's still struggling and joblessness is, you know, sky high and you can't get a job out there and you can't buy a home and you can't do this and you can't do that and blah de blah de blah Guess what? You've just cemented the belief system. You can't escape it at that point. You can't. There's no way because it's coming at you not only from your internal <laughs> idea of yourself, but you're getting told externally that this is the way it is. Therefore, there is nothing you can do about it. From your own experience with Parkinson's, what is the collective belief system that is associated with people who are told they have Parkinson's? Well, and I'll be real honest with you, my experience is not huge. It's personal. It's not huge. I haven't dealt with a ton of people with Parkinson's, but here's what I'm imagining the collective belief is, that you have Parkinson's, you've been diagnosed with Parkinson's, you are going to end up in a wheelchair and you are going to die from this. And you are going to lose your quality of life in a progressive fashion over the course of X amount of time. That's it. That's the diagnosis, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what most people are told? That's, I think, uh, probably a, a good summary of what many people hear. And to what extent do you think or to suppose that are people influenced by the kinds of things that they might hear from a healthcare practitioner? Uh, for example, let's say a person is told, well, you're going to go in and have surgery. For example, perhaps it's going to be deep uh, brain stimulation surgery, but one of the side effects we know uh, happens for many people is you might have a tendency to want to commit suicide, or you might get depressed, or et cetera, et cetera. Now, to what extent will that have an impact on the outcome for that person? If I was to pie chart that or I was to give that a percentage, I'd say that was, that's 80 to 90% going to influence that person. Whoa, that's pretty big. Yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely huge because here's the thing. <clears throat> I, I put doctors in the same echelon as priests and anybody in a position of what I consider spiritual authority because healers, right? A doctor is a healer. And they literally and figuratively have your life in their hands. There is no way you're not going to give them your power. There's no way that you're not going to believe what they're telling you. There's a really, hopefully this isn't too much of a tangent. I think this will illustrate the point. There's a great commercial on television right now for the um, Cancer Care Alliance. And it's this woman, her name is Peggy, and she's just got the sweetest, most angelic face. And she's, I mean, this, is a, this isn't an actress, this is a real person. And she's, she's talking about that she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And the doctor that she went to told her, you have two months to live. And in this commercial, she breaks down and she says it was heartbreaking. She, was, she basically was sitting at home waiting to die when her sister prompted her to get in touch with the Cancer Care Alliance, and she did. And she went in and they tested her and stuff, and, and so then she says to the doctor at the end of the test, she says to the doctor at the Cancer Care Alliance, how long do I have to live? And the doctor said to her, Peggy, we've, done, uh, we've run a bunch of tests on you, and I haven't seen one thing that indicates you've got a date stamped on the bottom of your foot. There's, you have no expiration date. And 
according to this commercial, which I got to tell you, I do believe, even though I've just just dissed the media not too long ago about the way they present things, but the rest of this commercial is she's she at this point in time is I guess in remission is what they call it. They can't they can't see the tumors any longer. Oh. And she says in this at the end of the commercial, she says it's amazing to me that we're, that one doctor can tell me I've got two months to live and I can go to the Cancer Care Alliance and they saved my life. That's astonishing to me and makes complete sense because over the years of the work that I've done, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many times I have helped somebody let go of a diagnosis or an idea or a label or something that somebody told them that they took on as absolute truth because of belief systems, etc. And it changes everything because, remember, free will is the ultimate variable. And, and I'm not, you know, I am absolutely not one of these new age bliss ninnies that believes if you, you know, if you just think positively, you can overcome everything and you don't even have to die, right? <laughs> okay? I don't go there. I absolutely don't go there. And I do believe that, you know, there are, that, that our souls choose a path for learning and that we have a particular period of time we're meant to be on the earth. I believe all of that. I mean, there are definitely people that that have tragedies happen to them and they don't survive them and they go on and you know into another existence etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's there's a lot of variables to this this isn't a simple black and white issue but i absolutely think that the collective influences people in ways that maybe they're not even aware of and particularly when a collective belief is coming down through some voice of authority and i think you know the media um i think i think people in some ways um are 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 kind of divided i think there's there's a camp of people who buy into the media 100% and then i think there's a camp that go are you kidding me it's totally skewed and they're full of crap and i'm not going to i'm not going to believe it but when it comes to again a more of a personal authority figure especially when there's that spiritual component attached i think that those people um, wow, I think they have to, to tread really lightly. Um, and I, uh, another interesting story was a, a client of mine um, going into surgery for cancer, and she sat down with the surgeon and the, her, the doctor, the oncologist that she was working with, and she told them, here's the deal. This is my religious belief, so you, by law, are obligated to, you know, do what I say along these lines. And she instructed them. She gave them a sheet of paper with affirmations and prayers to say. She instructed them that they were to tell every single person in that operating room that they were not to say one single negative word the entire time she was under during her surgery. They were only supposed to talk positively. Even if they didn't believe it, they were supposed to talk positively. And she did a bunch of prayer and visualization stuff before the surgery. Well, that was, I heard that story probably 10 years ago, and I recently reconnected with that woman, and they're still talking about that experience in that hospital. The surgeon told her afterwards, you've changed the way I do surgery for the rest of my career. He said, I've never experienced anything like that. He said, I'm not a supremely religious man, but he said, God was in that room. And angels were everywhere. The nurses, everybody were profoundly changed. And 
she's cancer-free, which they didn't think was possible. They figured they could remove the tumor, and then she'd have to do all the chemo and all that other stuff. They didn't have to do anything else after that surgery. She was clean as a whistle and has been. And and guaranteed it was because of the collective mindset in that room at that moment, focusing on what was possible, not what was potentially the problem. Your comments have a profound influence on one-third of the individuals who are listening to this interview for the following reason. Research shows, and neurologists will also tell you, that about approximately on average one-third of the individuals who have a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease were wrongly diagnosed. Oh, <laughs> the wrong Lord diagnosis. <laughs> it's wrong, and it's yeah. you know there's no definitive diagnosis for Parkinson's, and it's not right. the fault of the, uh, the the doctors or the neurologists who are making the diagnosis. They're doing the best they can, but there's sure. no definitive test. No. And so, as it turns out, we know then that about one out of every three individuals who believes they have Parkinson's disease doesn't <laughs> have Parkinson's disease. And so, if they've fallen into that collective belief. Uh, Plate, uh, then they've done themselves a great disservice. And that, I'm not kidding you, Robert. That makes me want to burst into tears. I'm not exaggerating. That literally does. And I'll and I'll tell you something. <clears throat> That's why I am uh, of such a firm mind that our bodies will do whatever we tell them to do. And I think we even talked last time I was on the show about briefly about how um, somebody can, the body will try on something. The body will um, experiment, if you will, with what we're telling it. If, if we're telling it that we're depressed, it's going to try on depression. It's going it's to start getting lethargic, and it's going to start losing energy, and it's going to start doing whatever else comes along with depression. But depression hasn't actually rooted in the body. I've known people who've, been di- who've gone to doctors, many doctors, and the doctors are stumped, but they keep trying to diagnose them with things like maybe fibromyalgia or um, chronic fatigue or rheumatoid arthritis or something along those lines, and the body hasn't actually taken on that disease yet. It's trying it on. It's expressing it, but it hasn't taken root. And if the person will deal with the emotional patterns that are supporting the belief system and heal the belief system that's creating that issue, then the body can go, oh, okay, cool, we don't have to do this anymore. But if they don't, there's a period of time, and, and, and honestly, I don't know what the, what the median period of time is. I think it varies for everybody, but there will come a time when the body finally goes, Okay. Okay. I'm going to do this now. (laughs) You know, I'm going to just wear this freaking costume. I'm not going to even bother thinking about taking it off. You know, and and I think that also plays into absolutely how there are people who are what are considered medical miracles, right? They are diagnosed with a with a with cancer and they're given two months to live, and then they miraculously turn it around. And and the thing about Western medicine that's so challenging is it's a guessing game. It's like so many of our other systems that, that are based on one leg of the four legs of, of being, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, right? If, if the holistic approach is so much more effective because you've got to take into consideration the belief systems which are rooted in the emotional body and you've got to take a look at the ideas that person's walking around with and you've got to take a look at their spiritual connection. What's blocking you from, your, from having an intimate relationship with God? Well, that alone can manifest as a tumor, you know? So you've got to handle all of it. And, yeah, oh, my God, that's, a, that's an amazing 
um, percentage. I had no idea about that one-third are diagnosed wrongly. That's stunning to me. It is. And also really hopeful. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> seriously, that's kind of, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good analogy, but it's, it's just a, an opportunity to go, you know what? I'm not going to buy into this. Well, and one choice people can make is to say, I'm, I'm one of those one-third. <laughs> just shift it right there. Yeah. Say, nope, I think I'm yeah. one of those one-third. And uh, all of a sudden you're uh, shifting out of that, yeah. uh, being sucked into the collective belief system. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to deal with the physical symptoms. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to deal with the emotional processes around it. I'm not, I, again, I don't want to be the bliss ninny here and say, all you have to do is just think it differently and everything's going to change. There's a reason, there's, there's many reasons that you're having that experience. We've talked about that today. You know, what's the higher issue here? What's the opportunity? What's the learning curve? What are the lessons? What, what's being surfaced as a result of being diagnosed with Parkinson's? What's the idea about myself that I can heal now? So you're going to, for a period of time, you're going to experience those things because those are the triggers. Those are the little switches that flip that make us have to look at things. It's only when we bury our heads in the sand and say, well, this is, this is as good as it's going to get, or this is, this is my truth, this, this diagnosis is my truth, that we ignore the switches. Some people, having listened to this discussion, may be saying to themselves, well, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to address what might be in my family legacy. I'm willing to look at unconscious beliefs that I might have taken on when I was one month old. How do I get in touch with Michelle Morgan? You can get in touch with me through my office line, which is 425-397-7559, or michellemorgan.org. That's Michelle with one L, morgan.org. I'm Skyped now, Robert. Let me tell you what that is really cool. So, you know, we can talk for, I did a session with somebody in London and it cost, we did an hour and a half and I think it cost like two and a half dollars. It was amazing. So, got the Skype thing going on. We can do phone. People do not have to be in my physical presence to do the work, um, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, you can get get a hold of me through the website. Um, lots of inf- lots of information on the website, um, or you can just call me direct and and um, set up a time to chat with me, and we can see what we can do. And that initial consultation is usually one hour, two hours, an hour and a half. How does it usually? That it depends on what it is. I mean, sometimes we just have a little quick phone chat that just sets us up for whatever we're going to do from that point on. Most of the time, people will do a life assessment, which is an hour and a half. The life assessment is the beginning of a CSI track, the actual program, but you can do it separately. And that that life assessment is that psychic reading where we're going to trace those family legacies. We're going to find out exactly where you got what you're walking around with so you can start to... You can start to separate yourself out and let it go. So people can just get that if they'd like, rather than going through your full program. And how much does that cost, the life assessment? The the life assessment is two hundred fifty dollars, and there's homework. You gotta you gotta get in and do some homework prior. Wait, you don't do it all for them? Wait, what is this? They pay two hundred fifty dollars, and they have to do something on their own. I'm telling you, accountability is a big issue with me. I refuse to work harder than my clients. Let's put it that there way. There you go. <laughs> How is the person going to change anyway? Absolutely. Yeah, you might as well get used to doing the hard work. If you're going to do the program, you're going to be working a lot harder than that first initial assessment. So. <laughs> 
and so your program, tell people just a bit about what that's uh, involving. The program is extremely intense. I will not sugarcoat it. Your entire life will blow up in your face at some point, in a good way, but it's scary. Um, it's a two-month process, twice a week, 90-minute sessions. Sometimes we go two hours. They're generally about 90 minutes, twice a week without exception. Um, a little bit like Pandora's box. You open the lid and you've got to keep working on it because we dive right in. After the assessment, we, the point of the life assessment is to outline the foundational beliefs, literally the foundation of your unconscious beliefs, and we go straight after those. Um, Traditional NLP is like peeling an onion. You peel, you work on one layer symptomatically, and something else pops up, and you deal with that, and something else pops up, and eventually you get to the center. Absolutely, you get to the center of the onion. CSI is a firecracker in the center of the onion. We just blow the son of a bitch right up. We just pop it, and it chunks of beliefs get taken away when you bring everything back to those foundational beliefs. And so the CSI program is a two-month process of getting in there and and getting rid of those chunks. By the end of two months, somebody's going to have quite a foundation of being different in the world. And it isn't just, um, it's not just different thoughts. You're actually going to believe differently. You're going to feel physically differently. You're going to see the world through different eyes, and it's permanent. That's the best news of all. The change is permanent. You can't go back to the old um, once you've made those shifts. So it's a, it's a pretty extreme process. I, like I say, I don't sugarcoat it. It's, I, I demand a lot from my clients. There's journaling in between, and you've got to stay on it. But it also, once you, <laughs> once you sign up or you even, once you even make the decision you're going to do the work, then all the parts in your psyche that hold these belief systems get in line and start, start the process right then. So it, the commitment sort of carries you. Um, and there isn't anybody that's gone through that process that hasn't had some kind of change. The people who are truly willing to change, it's profound. It's obviously a huge commitment of two months, yeah. twice a week, lots of yeah. homework. Is there a standard cost to it, or does it yeah, depend? Yeah, that, that, that two-month process is three grand. So it's a, it's a person saying, I'm, I'm ready to do it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. you bet. And it, and it really does require, it, it's, it's one of those choice points. Once you step over the line, there's no going back. Right. Is there anything else you'd like to tell folks, uh, Michelle, before we uh, wrap this up? No, other than I, th I really do think that we are in an unprecedented time frame on this planet. As I said earlier, unprecedented levels of fear, and that's the shadow. The light or the blessing in this unprecedented time frame is that consciousness is at a height that it's never been at before. The only other time we've come close to this was, I believe, when Christ was on the planet and he was the one carrying the consciousness at that point. It's now a collective consciousness that's, that's possible, um, but people have to be willing to, to take it. They have to be willing to own it and, and do something with it. And so, you know, for every, um, for every degree of shadow out there in the world, and it's pretty scary, there is a hundred degrees of light that's attached to it, and that's the whole point. We're we're supposed to traverse the shadows. That's how we find God. We don't reach out for God if we're in, in a good space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we we might remember to thank Him sometimes, but we don't reach out. We don't reach out and ask for help. It's only when we're in the darkness that we reach out, and that's it's all about the growth. So, you know, people who are struggling right now, whether they're struggling with Parkinson's or some other physical ailment, or they're struggling with you know, uh, a foreclosure or a loss of job or, or a divorce or d 
death or whatever it is, it's time. It's time to step up to the plate and and be that warrior that everybody's been chosen to be. And I think it's an incredible time frame to do that. I really do. Michelle Morgan, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's an honor. I really appreciate it, Robert. You can order a CD of this program or any of the previously aired Parkinson's Recovery radio programs by visiting the following website, www.radio.parkinsonsrecovery.com. There's also a subscription that is available, and in particular, this would be particularly useful to support groups who'd like to be able to pass the CD around to the various members of the group. It also makes it incredibly cost-effective. So you're listening to the programs on CDs as you're driving or as you're exercising without having to worry about logging on to a computer or calling up long distance when the program is aired live. So that pro- that particular website is www.radio.parkinsonsrecovery.com. If you have any questions of a medical nature, please email me them. Robert at Parkinson'sRecovery.com, and you might ask why. Well, I'm not going to answer those questions. I'm not a doctor, but I will be interviewing a number of uh, medical doctors and naturopath doctors over the next coming months. Dr. Laura Meshley, who is a naturopath doctor from Seattle, exclusively treats individuals who have Parkinson's, and she is a wealth of wisdom. I'll be interviewing her very soon, as well as Dr. Ivy Faber from Canton, Georgia, who's also a naturopath doctor and has had extensive experience in helping individuals with the symptoms of Parkinson's. So if you've got uh, questions about medicines or other kinds of concerns that are of a medical nature and need to get an answer from a medical doctor or a naturopath doctor, email me the question, and I'll basically ask them when I interview them. I'm also next week interviewing compounding pharmacist and nutritional counselor Randy Mincer. So if you've got specific questions about medications or combinations of medications, it's a great opportunity to basically get either a second opinion or a first opinion on the possibility that what you're taking might be changed in a way that will help you feel a great deal better. So in the end, if you have questions about Jumpstart to Wellness, which we'll be offering on Vancouver Island on March the 26th and March the 27th, or if you have questions about the Parkinson's Recovery Cruise to Alaska, seven days, which departs on May the 3rd, or if you've got any curiosity or questions about the N-acetylene eye drops, that are providing thousands and thousands of individuals with eye difficulties, such as dry eyes or double vision or eye twitches or cataracts or cloudy vision with uh, incredible relief, and also making it possible for people to avoid cataract surgery, give me a call. You can reach me at the following number, one eight seven seven five two six four six four six. We don't screen out calls with staffs or operators. You basically just get me. So if you get a recording, I'll call you right back because it means I'm gabbing with somebody else. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart and all the men are handsome and all the children are truly loved. Know that you are on the road to recovery. Good day.